0: Have you ever wondered what it takes to build a successful business in the Australian property industry? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Business and Property Development, a monthly podcast in which industry leaders share their insights and experience with host Harry Carademus. Hello and welcome to Business and Property Development. Well, here we are, episode eight and the last one of season two. It's an absolute privilege to be wrapping up this year speaking to Baxter Gamble, co-founder of Development Finance Partners. Baxter and I had a great chat about his journey as a young chap from Leeds who landed in Brisbane with his family, made it down to Sydney and forged a formidable career building various finance businesses. We also discussed some of the landmark Sydney developments he and his teams have helped get out of the ground and his business wisdom developed over an incredibly successful career. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks, sir. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with me today.
1: Well, thanks for the invite and hopefully we can share some insightful conversation.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's exactly what I was going to lead in with. You've got such an extensive history of business building in finance and entrepreneurship. So I'm looking forward to understanding what your journey has been like to carry you to today and some of the business wisdom that you can impart on our listener. Before we get into the nitty gritty, I'd like to ask you a couple of brief questions just to paint a picture of you for our audience. So if you can tell me where were you born and where did you grow up?
1: I was born in Headingley Leeds in England. And my parents emigrated to Australia in 1972 when I was about eight. I think they were called 10-pound poms back there, which was the Australian government's desire to emigrate skilled workers into the country. They did it in the 50s. I mean, they've consistently done it up until COVID. I always find quite humorous, the whole stop the boat campaign and if they'd stopped the boat from 1950 through to the previous 40 years there would have been no one in the country building <laughs> building the country because mm. most of the people that are in the country emigrated have obviously made significant contributions mm. so my dad originally emigrated on two accounts one they were in just introducing something called VAT which mm. is now equivalent to the GST in Australia yep. so it did catch him 30 years later <laughs> and where we lived wasn't and Leeds was a mining town, yep. very, very tough, hard conditions and quite an extraordinary environment and he didn't see any future for my siblings and myself so he felt like we stood more of a chance to create something or be safer, more importantly, in Australia. And back then they were like promoting, you can buy your house, you get good salary. It was the original Australian dream, I really, So yeah. you
0: started in Brisbane, and then what brought you down to Sydney? I met a girl,
1: as you all do, and caught a bus from Brisbane to Sydney. And I had, I think, $72. And we lived in, I still remember, we lived in Commonwealth Street in Surrey Hills in what was affectionately called back then a squat. And there was five other people that lived in the house. And that relationship was the basis of me coming to Sydney. I didn't see anything... Because my parents had moved from Brisbane to the Golden Coast. And I didn't see any future for myself on the Gold Coast. The aesthetics of it were... It felt like there was no depth. Certainly
0: not looking like what it does today. No, <laughs> yeah. no. So you were 17, 18 when you moved down. Obviously, you did your schooling back up in, in Brizzy. Given you probably have finished your, your schooling when you come down to Sydney, what, what did you think you were going to be getting into? or Whatever I could. Whatever you could. Good. Oh yeah. Where
1: did it take you? I did waitering in King's Cross for the breakfast show. That was always quite interesting. Mm, I can imagine. Uh, you know, walking through King's Cross at 4.30 in the morning. That's eye-opening. Then I worked at the Central Hotel, which was a bar as a cocktail barman. So I pretty much got up at 4.30 and got home at like 11 o'clock at night. I just kept doing those sort of jobs, you know, until I could work out if there was another opportunity. And then, ironically, there was an advertisement for McDonald's. So I used to run, so I got trained in the McDonald's process which gave me some insights, which was the one in George Street, the original in George Street where the cinema is now. They're on the school holidays, it was just insane. And then I saw a small ad in the paper, because obviously the internet wasn't around. Yeah. Oh, my God, I'm sounding old. For a junior broker at a group called Portchester in North Sydney, and my mother had bought me a brown and pink cheque or woolen suit for my twenty first and had a pink shirt with grey leather shoes and I put on a tie and went in there and Got interviewed, and the chap said, Well, you know, you don't seem to have a lot of experience in any of the, any of this. And I said, Well, it's just about selling, really, isn't it? And he goes, Absolutely. I said, Well, aren't I selling myself now?
0: And they gave me the position. Did I, you intend on getting into finance, or was this was it just. I something?
1: just didn't want to be in. Uh, it was like the dichotomy was I left the Golden Coast not to be in hospitality or retail. Nothing wrong with that, but not for me, long, not with longevity. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much what started my career. In actual fact, Paul Ahern, the gentleman that gave me the job, who now owns Locums, I see him walking around and I still always go up and shake your hand and say, you know, I'm 58 and he's in his 60s. And I always go, I'd never be where I am if you hadn't given me that opportunity. And there was another gentleman... Who I can't remember where Alex is now. Alex Francois, and he's runs some global fund. And I'm a patrol captain at Manly, and he sometimes comes down with his sons. I always thank him as well because you know that was the turning point where Paul obviously gave me the opportunity. Alex was my pit boss, or you know my training executive. So I've always been extremely grateful, and still am,
0: Which know,
1: means- because that that was the that was the trigger point in my life mm. to um, change where i was stuck
0: how did your career progress in in that regard how did you start and what kind of things were you involved in
1: uh most of what we were doing was we was doing investment plans that was what portchester did which was great up until october whatever that day was and 1987 yeah, yeah yeah oh yeah absolutely i'm not sure if you've ever seen the original wall wall street with gordon gecko greed is good blah 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 that was pretty much it the next day that wasn't it, it was chaos, it? Oh, it was absolute. I mean, they turned off the computer trade because it was selling itself out so quickly that mm-hmm. they couldn't stop it. So they're just like, oh, we'll turn it off. That'll help. I don't That's want to see what's like, happening. We don't want to know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Then um, out of that, I started a company called uh, Waters Gamble, which pretty much did the similar thing to what Portchester did in one way or another. And then we converted... It was at a time that we're... In the US and other countries, you could get an endowment contract or a bond where you would put cash away, which would help supplement paying off your mortgage because mortgages weren't significant, you know, not to the extent they are these days. In that process, we then sort of moved into doing debt placement in Waters Gamble. That company became quite well known. I mean, at one point, it was one of the largest introducers of debt in the ACT, I think it was running fifth. I mean, we sponsored the breakfast program, the Sunday Business Program, Water's Gamble and Associates. So
0: I'd love to look into uh, Water's Gamble in a bit more detail. But what I'd like to understand before we get into it is: so you started a Port Chester Group. Obviously, you finished your time there. Was there a defining moment that you decided that you would give business building a, a go? Like, what was that? What was that period of time? Well, where you I just
1: did... worked out they were making more money than me, and I was doing all the work. Uh, Not that I wasn't doing well back in the 80s, I mean, significantly doing extremely well, but it was like I was getting a fraction of the pie, which has served me well because our current mentality is completely different to that mentality. And it was like, well, I'm working my ass off for the wanting of a bad description, and you're the bloke that's living in Mossman in a beautiful house and driving a Porsche, and I'm not. (laughs) So how did you make the start? We, We basically, originally, we went across to the Bayer Building uh, in Alfred Street and got a serviced office and cold-called people, you know, and then we did pamphlet jobs. You know, this was all the marketing back then. When you start up, you can't afford radio or TV. I mean, you had to be a bigwig, and there was no internet or social media, so it was pamphlet drops or direct mail pieces or cold-calling. You pretty much were on the phone. Uh, Making appointments for yourself, to meet people, to talk them through the opportunities.
0: So you started in Sydney, but then it was also running in the ACT? We
1: partnered with a a brokerage firm down there. However, the person that, for I think it was about two years, unfortunately he he passed away, he was a lot older than was. So I ended up moving down to Canberra and then the other partner managed Sydney. So I remember walking into an office going,
0: Okay, we're starting all over again. That means you went inter-city, inter from the beginning as well. Oh, so oh, yeah, but the, well, it wasn't planes. Yeah. <laughs> it, was yeah.
1: three, it was a three-and-a-half-hour drive yeah. <laughs> every week.
0: From what I understand, this was one of the first commercial and construction mortgage companies?
1: Well, it was interesting because back then there wasn't any securitized lending like Aussie or Wizard or Rams, or, and there wasn't any commission structures set up as they currently exist through aggregators and broker networks back then. So we were doing debt placement, and then because it was doing what would be considered significant volume in loan, we got to that point where you started negotiating for a margin, which basically, the institution still paid effectively, that structure still exists today, which basically reduced the overall cost, because then our firm reduced its because it could recover from the institution, which basically is just really saying, I'd rather pay you as a consultant or an advisor external. There's no on-costs on wages and there's no marketing for you. So you're out there with your bag of tricks and if you want to recommend this or this or this or this. The distinction was that most securitizers back then started in home loans um, we specialised in commercial and construction. That was the big difference between us. I mean, Ash Morgan were around back then. Michael still matured that business another way. Balmain Partners were. I That's think they've been around us for twenty eight years. So they would be what I you know in a similar proposition as opposed to the residential mortgage brokers. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, I mean, what kind of problems were you trying to solve for your clients at this point in time? Like, what was the landscape? You, you're actually in the same landscape today.
1: Mm-hmm. Literally. You're literally in the same landscape yeah. right now.
0: But you were one of the first in terms of commercial and construction in that it did it not exist well, as a no, business. Well, not really. Mm. No, no. So, like, what, what happened before and versus what was happening well, when you started? Well, what happened
1: is that the banks retracted. Interest rates were somewhere between... 14 and 20 percent, and people were looking for a competitive edge. And what our proposition was is we're not going to sell you our product, we're going to go and find you the best outcome. Even today, it's still the same. I mean, at the moment, a lot of there's been a lot of retraction from capital in the markets, but there's always money or institutions or capital that's counter cyclical. So, whoever retreats others come out. And when those come out, when they retreat, the other ones come out. It's like there's guys that are out there when it's sunny. How much do you want? But when it rains, it's like, where did
0: you go? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I guess your, the value that you were bringing was that you were able to source opportunities for people that needed... Yeah, happen. a yeah. solution.
1: Yeah. Where the retail banks were completely paralysed by what was happening in the market. Some institutions rang all their clients and said, The property market's dropped by 20%. We think it's dropped this much. You borrowed this much, so your loan to value ratio on your property or your development or your commercial property is in breach of its covenant. So we want our money back. If you look at some of the hysteria at the moment, they're talking about a 20% fail in the market, but it's a generalization. Well, that property over there dropped 4%. That property dropped 8%. That property remained the same, but what's the medium? Oh, well, the medium's got to be 6%. So New South Wales was dropped 6%. Well, depends on where you're living. Depends geographically, and that's just a fear-mongering. But back then, institutions did the same thing. Well, the people were concerned, institutions were concerned, and some institutions said, oh, we want our money back. And some said, as long as you're making your interest, that's fine by us. So, And ironically, you know, it's interesting you brought that up, is because right now... The new fifteen, fourteen, and fifteen percent is the six to eight percent that's coming. I think after the CPI figure yesterday at seven point three, you know they gave us twenty five points because the beatings have been so hard, and trying to slow down the economy, that yeah. they'll give fifty basis points in November and December. The only thing that's changed or is changing significantly is that when interest rates were point zero one, banks were lending money at two, two and a half percent which was all margin. And now that rates have gone up, and I was talking to Retail Bank the other day, so what are you doing with your margins? You, you, know, you can't keep them where you've had them. Yes, I know we're dropping our margin. The banks are going, well, our profitability's dropping because our costs have gone up. But we can't maintain that profitability or that two plus margin on a home loan because we're gonna have all these defaults starting to occur. But if you think about it, someone that bought a mortgage on deliberate language and bought their mortgage because that's what they chose to do at, say, they got the special deal at 1.8 or 1.99 or 2.2. Their mortgage payment right now is doubling, like doubling. The sixes to eights. It's pretty terrifying,
0: actually, (laughs) because that's three times more. Exactly. Let's get back to this. Is this has actually been a lovely tangent to explore? But I'd love to go back to your the mid nineties, where so after, or is it at the same time as Waters Gamble? Or you also founded uh, is it Australian Finance? Australian Finance
1: Solutions. So Waters Gamble got to a stage, got to a stage where it needed to separate. The other partner m- moved on. I basically established Australian Finance Solutions.
0: Was that a similar sort of venture, or Uh, or uh, what did you uh, have uh, in mind this time? Well,
1: the the good thing about AFS is is that it basically didn't have to learn any of the mistakes of Water's Gamble. There was that knowingness. With age comes experience. You're always learning. Hmm. However, you're not making the early entrepreneurial mistakes. It's like, we know that works, we know that works, we know this. So... And that so AFS became a national organisation: Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Canberra, and Adelaide. So
0: a similar, similar feel like commercial and construction origination. Yeah, commercial yeah. and
1: construction predominantly. At that stage, we've gone from doing smaller. You have to start somewhere. No one starts doing fifty million dollar or hundred million dollar transactions in the beginning, that's like, oh my God, if if I, yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. So yeah, 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 be great if you could start. yeah, hey, you know, it was easy. We just went straight to that. You learn all of these different propositions and, you know, I I would assume in, in what you do, apart from these interviews is that you wouldn't have started on a high rise apartment. You probably started Uh, on a a site building two houses going, what am I doing? Yeah. So yeah, so we did some interesting, so we did the Italian forum which was quite interesting.
0: Actually I, I had that as a couple of your landmark deals which I, I'd love to explore further. The
1: developer who passed a couple of years ago, who actually I had a very intimate relationship with as a mentor, he he was a very kind man and um, when you're doing something like what I've chosen to do it's also good to get A steady hand on the till, for the want of a better expression. He he was good. He was great. I mean, I was very sad when he passed. Back then, I remember standing on. It was the old waterboard site, and it was like just this huge hole. You know, just. And he goes, "I'm going to build an Italian forum," and ah, questions I should have asked Steve back then were, "Aren't you Lebanese? (laughs) Well, it's Lebanese Christian. What's an Italian forum?" (laughs) And how come every time we come to the site, no planes fly over?
0: Well, how did the opportunity come about? I mean, this is oh, well, this he'd is actually start.
1: Well, yeah. it's interesting; it's uh, it's still happening today, which is so 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 cool. Is that he was starting doing smaller townhouse developments, and he'd come through that process with us, and then he gradually built, and we. Oh, So this was an
0: existing was yeah. this an existing relationship? Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I'm seeing a client today. The relationship is 30 years on. I mean, the only negotiation appears to be he likes Chardonnay and I don't. That's where you want to get to, that's have, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so he just, you know, and we've done this plenty of times. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's quite interesting, you know, something like 60, 65% of our clients stay with us. There's other groups that approach our clients. So when we do testimonials, sometimes we they do videos or, or we'll say Alistair Baker for Omria, you know, where other guys go... 20 million dollar deal settled and you know client testimonial they did a great job Graham. i did one post actually i think you interviewed anthony from Imperial right, That's right. and we we were sponsoring the urban, urbanity on the Gold coast and he'd been the client and we we're catching up and john lasdick's his cfo we had a photo together and they, they posted it and i said love working with these guys and then John Luzzick says. And then I wrote in brackets, "Sorry about all the guys that are now going to trawl you." And, he, and if you read it, goes back cheeky. And then he ran. Me, he said, "They just won't leave me alone." <laughs> so yeah, people have stayed with us for a long time yeah. and continue to do so because we can we can help people because we have such a broad. Even now, do two townhouses or like a tower we did in Perth recently for seventy million dollars. You know, those guys were just doing land and house packages eight years ago. But now they're doing towers. That's what Steve did. I mean, he pretty much got himself into a position where he was looking for a bigger opportunity. And not a lot of people could get their head around what the Italian forum was when we did.
0: I was going to say that would be where your well, it seems like that's where your value lies and you're able to actually allow businesses to take the step up into another... And, you know, and and to be quite
1: candid, I quite like being that lazy that that I don't need to negotiate with my clients consistently. They're a proven product and we're a proven service. You know, we're always at the cutting edge at looking at new opportunities. I mean, we settled a site yesterday. The client paid $7 million and we funded him $7 million. It's 100%. Now somebody's going to go, oh, how can you fund 100% of an acquisition? It was like, well, he had a delayed option and we, through his process... It attained a DA, and the site is now worth twelve. So, do the math. Yeah. But you know, you do get these people. Oh, you can't find it. And we did one for one hundred and thirty-seven percent. People go, oh, you can't do that. I'm like, yeah, we did. <laughs> and by the way, this is the client's name.
0: Yeah. You know. Look it up. Yeah. Look, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Getting back to the forum, what was the deal? Can you talk about some of the? I mean,
1: it's going back a while. But I think it was about four hundred apartments sat at the top of a piazza. You know, and they had all this retail down below, and this yeah, like this huge. Piazza in the middle and, you know, we were trying to get it funded and Civil and & Civic actually was the builders, which is now lent, List. lent List. And everyone's going, oh, well, you know, subject to you achieving pre-sales. So they did the launch of the pre-sales on Italian Day or whatever it is in Leichhardt and there was a line of people lining up. Oh, wow. Two guys had a punch up, mate. You pushed in, <laughs> I'm like, and I'm going. I think this is going to go well, <laughs> but they were all like, "Mum and Dad's t- buying a two-bedroom apartment for the kids, yep. or one-bedroom apartment." So that went really well. And back then, it was it was Advance Bank. I think
0: haven't heard that name in a while. <laughs> yeah,
1: but that the cheque size was too big for them, so they partnered with credit credit neonates.
0: So. I love connecting these dots between projects that I've spent the best part of my life passing through or in, yeah. and you actually discover who's behind oh, some yeah. of these projects.
1: And you would never know. Very humble, generous, mm. amazing, and ama- amazing role as a man, you know, for other men to go, what a great life, and some amazing achievements. But always humble, always humble. You'd never know.
0: Is that some of the wisdom that he imparted on you on yourself?
1: Oh, I think as you get older, you question some of the, some of your life. And I remember distinctly ringing him one day, and I'm like, oh, it feels like I'm stuck, and I'm, I'm not sure, and he, and he said to me, son, you can't get a bad pot out of good clay. And he said, you're good clay. So that's stuck with me. It's what I have taught myself. If you're good, you'll end up good.
0: This is the end of the first part of the episode. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Baxter's journey so far. Coming up next will be the second part where we continue discussing Baxter's landmark projects, the establishment of DFP, as well as some of Baxter's insights into business success. See you soon.